The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Elder P, Garage Mahal, Dave on the dials, loving life. Dave is loving life. We got some feedback uh, about an episode when uh, Dave was chiming in from those dials, from said dials. So uh, oh, feel free to jump in whenever you want there, Dave. Uh, I know you don't have a microphone in front of you. Within but reason. The people Dave. like it. The people like it. <laughs> the people have spoken and, they, and they've enjoyed Dave's yeah. contribution to the podcast. He does all the work anyway, so he might as well get some of the credit sometimes. For sure. Um, which hey, is I want to good. ask you, so we just picked up on our way here. Instead of going and grabbing a coffee, we grabbed an iced coffee or a nitro coffee from Kintour Coffee a Company. cold brew coffee. Cold brew coffee. How do you think? I like it. Can I tell you a, a little bit of weirdness about me? Always. I like my coffee black, but yep. I like my cold coffee with cream. I don't know why. It's like it just feels weird to drink it just like because I feel like now I'm just straight up drinking cold coffee. That's was just coffee that went cold. Whereas if it, there's cream in it, it feels like a whole different drink to me. Is that weird? Yes. My mind works. The answer in- is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> you're strange. I think it's good. It took me a while to get over the fact that you're drinking a cold drink that's not carbonated. Other than water, I don't drink a whole lot of cold drinks that aren't carbonated. Iced tea? I don't no drink, iced tea? I don't drink iced tea. What, I, I literally drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> what about, okay, hold on. What about scotch? It's not cold. It's not cold? No, I don't put ice in it. Oh, you're a man. You drink it neat. Yeah. Is that is that what it's called, drinking it neat? Yeah. Can I make some more confessions on the podcast that yeah. <laughs> hundreds of people are going to hear now and mock Go for me it. for? Oftentimes when I'm drinking scotch or whiskey or something, I'll make a comment like, ooh, that's smooth. And I have no idea what, what it's like, what's that referring to? <laughs> you know like, that like harsh taste that like, so there's a couple things. There's like a smoky flavor. I do like, I know what a smoky flavor okay. is. I like so a smoky smooth flavor. is like the opposite of that. If there's not like a smoky flavor, that's then, smooth? Smooth, then that's what like smooth is. So smooth is like less of a, that kind of harsh aftertaste. Oh, that I like? I think so I... Sco- so with scotch, you wouldn't call it like whiskey, you would call it smoky. With scotch, it's more peaty. And I know there's going to be some people who are like, those are technically different things. Yes, they are. But I'm talking to Chris right now. So let's just ignore <laughs> Talk me. Talk to me like I'm five. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, but but I knew you'd know that like smoky flavor. So like the smoky flavor, because you can get that smokiness to be like, overwhelming like there's some scotches that are so peaty that it feels like you're chewing them especially a lot of the stuff made in um like art bag and and some of that stuff but anyway all that to say i don't drink many non-carbonated cold drinks and so that's the only thing that feels weird about it want to hear another hilarious story about me sure the first time i ever had beer bear in mind i didn't drink when i first because i had just been saved so when i first became legal to drink i didn't i was anti-alcohol Boy, things have changed, eh? Um, but the first you got time saved I, at a Baptist church, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, very bad. Uh, but the first time I ever had a beer, 
they brought it out and I was like, oh, can I get some ice in this? I remember even the waitress like looking at me like, you're a crazy man. And I was like, no, I just really like cold beverages. Because I like cold, cold beverages. Yeah, so do. she brought an ice and everybody at the table was just like laughing at me. And I never understood that you don't put things in your alcohol. If you like really cold beer, then just frost your mug. I do that with water. Yeah, I like, know. Because you usually come over to my house. So I don't drink scotch with uh, with ice, but I do have like the things for like scotch ice cubes, like the yes. big fat ones that, that melt very slowly. And when you come over, you just have like that with a tiny bit of water and you have like three of those giant ice cubes in a big glass. It's like progressive drinking because that like <laughs> the huge ice cubes continually melt, refilling up my ice cold water. So it's perfect. Anyway, that was a long... That was a long intro. We're going to get uh, some emails about that one. Like, just get into it, guys. So we won't do the rest of the intro. About an hour ago, when you were like, <laughs> what are we talking about? I had seen this clip. So this is Tucker Carlson. He's giving the keynote address at Heritage 50th Anniversary Celebration. It's about a 26-minute video. You can find it on YouTube pretty easily if you just search for Tucker Carlson keynote address Heritage or something like that. It'll come up. But specifically, I want to play about six minutes in the middle of it. And then I just want to get your thoughts on it, okay? So we're going to play that clip. Everybody can hear it. And then we're going to talk about it, okay? Here we go. This is Tucker Carlson. Here's the second thing I'd like to say before I get to the conversation with Dr. Roberts, which is that it might be time to start to reassess the terms we use to, <laughs> to describe what we're watching. So when I started at Heritage, the presumption was, and this is a very Anglo-American assumption that the debates we're having are kind of rational debates about the way to get to mutually agreed upon outcomes, right? So like we all want the country to be more prosperous and free and people to be less oppressed or whatever. And so we're gonna argue about tax rates and I think higher tax gets, gets us there. I'm a Keynesian and you disagree, you're an Austrian or whatever, but the objective is the same. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and may the best papers win. I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, not, and I should say at the outset, I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me, because I don't have any. I grew up in the shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point. Um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? There's nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are? Are we arguing for that? I don't, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know, a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice, obviously. It's not about like, oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant and what do we do about that and victims of rape. I, you know, I get it. I, of course I understand that and I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the Treasury Secretary stands up and says, you know what you can do to help the economy get an abortion? Well, you, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. 
There's not a society in history that didn't practice human sacrifice. Not one. I checked. Even the Scandinavians, I'm ashamed to say. It wasn't just the Mesoamericans. It was everybody. So like, that's what that is. What's the point of child sacrifice? Well, there's no policy goal entwined with that. No, that's a theological phenomenon. And that's kind of the point I'm making. None of this makes sense in conventional political terms. When people or crowds of people, or the largest crowd of people at all, which is the federal government, the largest human organization in human history, decide that the goal is to destroy things, destruction for its own sake, hey, let's tear it down. What you're watching is not a political movement, it's evil. So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this, I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, uh, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say, if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I, I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, I would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its products? What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true, it is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization, and filth. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war, far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching, which is not what, and I'm not, certainly not backing the Republican Party. I mean, ugh. I'm not making a partisan point at all. I'm, I'm just noting what's super obvious. Like those of us who are in our mid-50s are caught in the past in the way that we think about this. One side's like, no, no, you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that, doesn't work. And two, Maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. I'm serious, like why not? And I'm saying that to you, not as some kind of evangelist, I'm literally saying that to you as an Episcopalian. The Samaritans of our time. I'm coming to you from the most humble and lowly theological position you can. I'm literally an Episcopalian, okay? And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future, and I hope you will. That's Tucker Carlson. 
I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that I kind of wanted to pull out of that. I was fascinated by this clip for a number of reasons, but I just kind of want to get, because that's the first time you've actually ever listened to it fully. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? My first thought is it's, it's actually shameful for the church because yeah, he that's speaks. that's what I was thinking. He speaks with such clarity on an issue that's so blindingly obvious to some of us, but many in our faith don't see this issue even remotely as clear as Tucker Carlson in this way. I don't know him well enough. Would he even consider himself a believer? Like, well, as you heard, he's like an he's an Episcopalian <laughs> and he considers himself broadly Christian, but certainly not like a regular churchgoer, any of that kind of stuff. No. Interesting. That would be the first big thing that stuck out to me, just how, how clearly he sees the issue. And what the issue to me that, he, that he's bringing up is that the argument isn't a political argument. It, right. It's fallacy. It's, an, it's idiocy to think this is a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's that's a theological right. issue. He even talks about like an overarching power that's directing well, that's, this evil. Yeah, that's and it's like, how does everybody not see this? Man, exactly. So I think I look at this and I'm like, you and I would take a lot of flack from Christians who think that we attack cultural issues with too much veracity, with too much, with not enough grace, right? With not enough sensitivities. People are calling within our camp. So Christians are calling guys like you and I, guys like Doug Wilson, guys like, you know, Brian Sauvey and, and Toby Sumter, some of the guys who we appreciate their cultural engagement. And Christians look at that category of Christian and they say they're doing more harm than good. What you need to do is win people with grace, not divide people with, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we, we've talked about this ad nauseum on our podcast because it is one of the things that we get accused of most frequently. That's exactly it. It's like, here's a pagan, right? For all intents, he is a pagan who understands that rational debate and comparing position papers it's not working anymore. We're not debating in the traditional sense. And essentially what he's saying is conservatives, right? Because even though he's not making a, he, he kind of made that grossed out noise when he, uh, talking about the Republican Party. But at the end of the day, what he is, because I've, I've read his book, uh, and I can't remember what the name of it is called uh, now, but he wrote a book that was sort of about what's going on in the, in the whole woke culture, and he talked about Trump in it and all that kind of stuff. But in that book, he does talk about returning to like the Judeo-Christian values that founded the country, right? And he would put them in that sense because, you know, in his mind, he's not a Christian guy. And I know some of our friends, uh, Torba, and, you know, these guys would uh, take us to task for saying Judeo-Christian as opposed to just Christian values. But here's the point. He's coming from that sense, and he's essentially saying the paradigm has shifted. Conservative people who are advocating for cultural change are stuck in an old paradigm. And the old paradigm was you debate the different strategies for bringing about a shared common goal, right? Yes. That was the idea. So Republican, Democrat here in Canada, liberal, conservative, whatever the case is, we all had the same goal. The goal was prosperous, free country. And in that goal, the political debates were about what strategy best got us there. And, and basically what he's saying is you're stuck in an old paradigm. That's not the paradigm anymore. It's no longer a debate about the strategy to get to the same outcome because what's actually being advocated for here is either good or evil. It's either light or darkness. So here's a, a completely pagan guy, and he doesn't have the language for it, but essentially what he's arguing for is there's no neutrality. 
right? There's no neutrality. He's saying that there are two sides here, and he's trying to make he's trying to make it a an egalitarian movement, right? An ecumenical movement. He's like, look, I'm not I'm not advocating for a particular. And he says, like, I think even the Athenians would agree with me. So he's trying not to make it religious, but it is inescapably religious. But ultimately, what he's arguing for is we need to get back to pursuing good and not actually. I mean, if I could throw some Bible verses in his mouth for what he's saying is, you know, not cast our pearls before swine because the people that we are debating aren't even after the same goal as us. They are after, and and he said it, a castrated, fruitless, right, barren, androgynous population that will eventually die out because we've all killed our babies. Like that that's what they're arguing for. And so when you're arguing for order and evil like that, he's like, it's not even a debate. He is talking about this with more clarity and more understanding and less wool over his eyes than most pastors in pulpits. And I'm talking conservative, reformed guys in pulpits. Yeah, it's actually shocking. So I think the book you're talking about is Ship of Fools. Yes, is yes. That, if anybody was wanting to read the yeah, book, yeah, they could, appreciate that. Thank they you. Could read it. His point, and I think you articulated it well, the idea that we used to all be working to the same goal but by different means. Right. And now we're not even we're not even playing the same game. The conservative people, the, the Republican Party, whoever, whoever, however we want to phrase that, the conservatives in Canada, whatever, we need to start playing the game the same way they're playing the game. Because now it's like it doesn't matter how many facts we put out about abortion, how many facts we put out about transgender, whatever. The stats are overwhelmingly back our argument. Yep. The other side doesn't care about the argument. And I think he made a really profound point when he talks about like the nature of good is order and peace and love and, and whatnot. And the order of evil is chaos, filth, which means that there's no there's no structure to evil. It's just evil for evil's sake. To try to rationalize and try to bring people into our camp to see reason by using reason isn't going to work when there is no desire for order in right. their in their worldview. And no foundation for them to... to <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's funny you, you said that, but no foundation... About twice through the day, like, by what standard? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I thought he was about to say it, he just didn't. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't even say just him. Like, guys, some other pagan people who are yeah. who see this very clearly, like... The Jordan um, Petersons Jordan of Petersons, the world. Ben yeah. Shapiro's, Matt yeah. Walsh's. I know he's got a bit of a faith background. I'm not going to say he's not a Christian. I don't know if he is or not. But, I think Catholic um, guy, I don't know where Catholic, is at, that yeah. what he is? Okay. I think, yeah, he's a Catholic. I don't know where his heart's at. Obviously, we believe yeah. that there's regenerate people within the Catholic Church, but 100%. broadly speaking, they're... Their gospel yeah. doesn't say, but them. the the point stands right. Like in terms of yeah. there's there are a number of people who aren't even in our theological camp. That's right. Who are seeing this clearly? Some of the more educated people see this so so clearly, and it's like you wonder why the scales have been taken off their eyes, so to speak, when so many, as you mentioned, our brothers in the pulpit don't see these see these things remotely clearly at all. And I think it's because what how he said about the idea that we're still trying to play the game. We still think we can win this argument. With an argument, that's you know right. what I mean. Yeah, and so I, the the quote from Doug Wilson about like our culture needs brave men. Yes, and then the peaceful guys will come back and write stories about those men who will who will win. So I would actually say like for anybody who's listening now, I don't think there's too many people listening to our podcast that think we don't go far enough or whatever. But I actually think I don't think our camp has even gone far enough yet in this how mean we should be towards the culture. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so you're immunitizing the eschaton here for a minute. You're jumping, you're jumping uh, ahead of me here. But uh, so one of the things I want to say, because you talked about Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, some of these guys, and you asked the question, like, why is it that the scales have been taken off their eyes, even though they seem to be theologically outside of our camp? And the verse that comes to my mind is in Titus 1. You remember when, um, when Paul says, a prophet of your own has said that Cretans are all lazy gluttons and evil beasts, right? And so... He's quoting a prophet of the Cretan culture, right? One of their own, who accurately assessed the Cretan culture. And obviously he's talking about a generalization, a stereotype, but he's saying it's a true stereotype. And obviously that's not always true because he quotes a Cretan to say that Cretans are always liars. So if Cretans are always liars, then that wouldn't be true. But, <laughs> but we get what he's doing there. He's making a generalization, but he's using a prophet of their own, which is not to say he's a prophet of the true and living God, right? And yet he had something right about the culture of Crete. And Paul actually uses that to give instruction then to Titus, who is pastoring in Crete. So I think it's interesting that some of the prophets of of our own, right? The prophets of modern America, prophets of modern Canada, in the case of uh, Tucker Carlson and uh, Jordan Peterson and, and some of those other guys you named, I think they're, they're accurately assessing that there's a problem, but they're not actually equipped with the solution because without the spirit of God and the word of God, all they can do is assess the problem. So that Cretan prophet could assess the problem, but he wasn't equipped with the word of God or the spirit of God in order to be part of the solution. So then what I would say is that Christians who... I think, see what's going on, we ought not to rely as heavily as we do on the Tucker Carlson's, the Ben Shapiro's, and and the uh, Jordan Peterson's, because they're not equipped with the tools to save the world from this problem, right? We are. We literally, Christians have the tools to save the world from the evil that Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro might be able to accurately identify, but they don't have the weapons in this warfare, right? Our weapons aren't carnal, they're spiritual. And if you don't have the spirit of God in you, then you don't have those same spiritual weapons. That's the one thing I would say. But then the other thing I would say is, is, and this goes back to your point, I think that this lack of ability to see what the fight is disqualifies a lot of otherwise good, faithful Christians from actually engaging in the fight. So you have guys, and and this is what I mean when I say like some of the guys who are broadly reformed, who are sort of in our camp, so to speak, right? And I'll just use some famous names rather than local names, just so we don't get ourselves too much in trouble because these guys are not, these guys don't have my email address, but like the, you know, the Matt Chandlers, the David Platts, even, you know, dare I say it, one of our, both of our heroes in, in a lot of ways, the John Pipers of the world. These guys are like, they've sort of disqualified themselves from speaking into all of these cultural issues because they've failed to see what even a pagan Tucker Carlson has seen, and that is that the rules of the game have changed. And you're not going to win people over with your logical, calm reasoning. Because, and, and we see these memes all over the place, right? It's just like, oh, like, I, you know, I, I don't think, that for the, these 10 reasons, I don't think abortion is a good thing for society. And what's the response? Racist, right? Like, yeah. like that really is the culture that we're living in now. And I think that pastors who are, are looking at some of the ways in which guys like uh, Doug Wilson and uh, Toby Sumter, whoever, are engaging culture and saying, oh, it's too mean, it's too harsh, it's too whatever. They just don't understand that they're, they're operating within an old paradigm. It's funny you mentioned how Tucker doesn't have the answer. He starts to hit on the solu- one I of know. the solutions, but he just doesn't have a foundation for yeah. it, right? So he, he mentioned, like, if everybody just pray, spend 10 minutes a day. Like, yeah. Could you imagine if that sounds every like Christian 2 Corinthians just— 7, right? <laughs> if my people who are called by my name— Because yeah. the truth is, like, 
I don't know very many Christians who pray 10 minutes a day specifically against this evil. Um, you just wonder how many more people's scales would be pulled off their eyes and how different this would look two years from now, three years from now. If, if the, the church, the bride of Christ, hearts actually broke yeah. for the unborn. Because I know, I know, like, and that might sound harsh, like I know everyone, almost universally, every, every Christian I know, if I if went up and said, like, do you love the unborn? They would say, Absolutely. But like saying something and having your heart actually broken in, in mourning for that is is different. And I'm preaching to myself here too, right? Because, and so like I wonder what it would look like if if people actually started to access the first step of how to overcome right this evil, which would be crying out to God that it ends. Yeah. Um, and you think about like the Book of Psalms, like how many times did David cry out to God to to deliver him from his enemies? And we've lost the idea that we should be crying out to see evils and injustice be overthrown. Yeah. Probably because we think that it can't be. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just to kind of push this a, a little bit further. So I want to actually circle back to some other pastors that I think have sort of, I think, failed the modern cultural test here. And I, again, I'm not going to name names or anything, but I just want I, I just want to challenge some some people's thinking on this. So oftentimes you and I are, are accused of being mean and, and too antagonistic or, or whatever the case is, lack of joy, which is hilarious because all you and I do, I feel like, is laugh. But I would say 80% of our workday is laughing. That's not going to go very much farther for people to be like, all Chris does is read all day. (laughs) (laughs) Read and laugh. (laughs) No, no. But here's what I would say. So one of the main reasons that we heard in terms of churches that, that adhered to lockdowns and government mandates was because they were saving their cultural capital for fights that really mattered. Right? Was that not one of the, the biggest things? Absolutely. Like, obviously, there's the Romans 13 debate. It's not a gospel issue, man. Right. Like. But here's what I would say. If it factors into your thinking at all what the people who are advocating for the kind of wickedness that Tucker Carlson just talked about, we're literally talking about people who are sacrificing their children. We're literally talking about people who want to castrate the next generation, mutilate children. And you are concerned about what they think in terms of whether or not you are compliant, how you handled uh, a communicable disease, and even more importantly, what sort of manners you debated them on the issues with. You do not understand the evil you are playing with if you literally think that anything other than the God of the universe shining gospel light into a dark, wicked heart Apart from that, there's no transformation there. So the idea of trying to win over cultural capital, the idea of trying to keep those struggling with same-sex attraction in our pews in order to be able to let them hear the gospel, it's ridiculous because these are the kinds of people that are fighting against the Christian worldview spreading in the world. These are the people who are fighting against a new Christendom, literally people who want to advocate for the sacrifice of their children, and the church wants to play nice with them. It just makes no sense. It minimizes the wickedness that's going on in the culture around us. And what I would say Tucker Carlson was touching on, he doesn't have the categories for it. He said there's some higher power thrusting this upon us. Yes, there are spiritual forces of darkness. Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament. These are our enemies, right? The non-Christians are not our enemies. They are the spoils of war. They're the territory over which the war is being fought. But the war is being fought against the principalities and power of darkness. There are literally demon gods 
that want you to sacrifice your children through the morning after pill or through abortion. There are literally demon gods who want to see you castrated, right, and mutilated and identifying as transgender, much like he said, that's an Aztec principle, right? Talking about child sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. So going to the abortion mill, grabbing the morning after pill, no different, right, than the pagans who are lining up to throw their children into the fires of Moloch. And those castrating themselves and mutilating their own children under the banner of LGBT are no different than the children who are given to um, cultic priesthoods that were literally made eunuchs in order to worship demon gods. Like this is old paganism that's being recycled and the church is too concerned with the reputation they have with outsiders that their, their primary concern is the tone that guys like you and I strike when we're calling down the wickedness of these demon gods. You said so many things there that I, I love. First thing I would, I would say is like, I'm racking my brain to go through scripture to find an example of when God blessed the church when they, when they tolerated wickedness. You know yeah, I mean? like, it's not there. Think about the, yeah. the book of Judges. Every single time they compromised or like, like they were punished. And it wasn't until they eradicated that from, their, from the thing that God would deliver them. I think about like in Joshua, I think it's Joshua 9, when he goes into the promised land and he's told to drive everything out. Like do it slowly, wipe them out. And then all of a sudden they make a covenant with another nation. And what happens is like, God's basically, now you're saddled with this. And it's like the idea of like, we are never meant as Christians to play nice with sin, to play nice with evil. In fact, the Bible warns us, if you're, something's causing you to sin, cut it off. Yeah. Pluck your yeah. eye out. Sanctification you know I mean? by um, mutilation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And don't cut your hands off. Yeah, guys. No, but hey. I mean, like the idea there is be ruthless against your own sin and evil. And I think it's important for us to remember that like, what you said again about uh, the people doing this aren't the enemy themselves. They're the mission field that we're working, right. working to win over. But another example that I don't see in scripture, I don't have a great example of somebody, a conversion story of somebody walking up and saying, you know what? I just been watching your life for a little while and it looks really nice. So I want to, I want to join that. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I do have is examples of Jonah going to Nineveh and saying, you're going to get destroyed or so change. Yeah. Peter standing up at Pentecost and being like, you kill Jesus, repent. I know there's there's great gospel presentations in Romans and what, but what I have is I have clear there's a creator you have sinned against him repent yeah because your wickedness leads to this yeah and and what I don't have is you know he he always plowed my driveway for me never talked to me but he was always super nice to me so therefore I'm going to convert to his religion conversion story and I'm sure there somebody's going to email us with a, with a story be like oh I helped this lady with her bags and she became a Christian because of it. God uses awesome things all the time. But what I do have is I do have clear, the, the clear evidence of exactly of the church pushing back against the darkness and winning souls because they're trying to save people from what's really going to kill them, which is sin, because our enemy knows the stakes of this game. All these people who are wanting to sacrifice children, they, they're doing this because he know, they know the outcome. And the longer we play nice with this, and the longer we we worry about like the fight that's coming down the road rather than the fight we're in right now, we're going to lose the fight we're in right now and we're never going to get to the fight down the road because we lost the round here. You don't get to the championship bout 
by laying down in the first three rounds of your first fights. You have to win those <laughs> fights true. to get to it. Yeah, David fought the lion, fought the bear before he got to Goliath, and that wasn't even his big fight. Everybody like, like his big fight was against Saul and against himself, but he couldn't even have got to those if he wasn't willing to die on the hill against the lion or die on the hill against the bear. You know what I mean? We don't get to pick and choose where God has laid us in the fight. We're in the fight that He's ordained for us. So man up, I guess is the like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems to me like there's there's these three categories, right? And I know no neutrality, there's really only two categories. I'm going to say that there's these three categories. So as I look, there's obviously the, there's the non-Christian world, right? And then there's the Christian world. And that Christian world, I would say, is divided. Now, of course, it's divided into how, countless denominations, all that stuff. But I'm going to, broadly speaking, divide it into two categories. And that is those who are fighting against the cultural decay that we see that is the fruit of the ideologies of the demon gods who have ensnared this generation. And then there's the Christians whose primary thing is trying to soften the evangelical fervor and what they would probably call the mean-spiritedness of that first category of Christians. And what's so interesting is that, and I, I just don't think they get it. So the, your average pastor who's just saying, look, I just want to faithfully shepherd my people. I just want to preach through books of the Bible. I don't want to touch on all these, this cultural stuff. I don't want to wade into COVID. I don't want to do any of this kind of stuff. Talk about transgenderism. You know, Bill C4 doesn't allow us to talk about conversion therapy anyway. So we're just going to preach the gospel and trust that as people come to Jesus, that the spirit will do its job of conviction. There's a ton of those people. And here's the problem. Not only do you not understand the parameters of the fight, as we're just saying using this Tucker Carlson clip, but you're actually doing damage to those who are actually fighting because the world is using you as an example of what Christians should be doing. So here's what happens. You have churches and pastors who speak out about the heinousness of sodomy, right? the wickedness of abortion, the disgusting perversion of transgenderism. And then you have the world who doesn't want to hear that message because condemnation, right? They have two choices when, when they're confronted with that sort of condemnation. Either they revel in it, in Romans 1, and they, deep, they sink deeper into the filth, or they repent, right? They don't want to hear that. So what's happening in the middle is there's this group of Christians saying, oh, we would never use that language. Yeah, we, we don't necessarily agree with your lifestyle, but we love you. We don't want to condemn you. you. You know, there's a place for you here. And so then when those of us who are calling evil, evil and up, up and bitter, bitter, say those things, the non-Christians look, cover their ears and say, why can't you be more loving like those Christians? In other words, why can't you be like the Christians who don't condemn our sin? Because I've heard that too, like, oh, I just want to shepherd my own people. Okay, what do you do when the wolf attacks? You still right. have to fight the wolf. And so, like, there's that idea of, like, yeah, if you, to properly shepherd your people, you have to fight off the wolf. What's the most warned against thing in the New Testament? False teaching. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yes, in the church, but also false worldview infiltrating your church. So, I would say to be a good shepherd, to be a good pastor, you have to equip your saints for the war they're in. Because here's the truth you might not want to engage in the fight. Every single person under your care, unless you have a retired community of, of believers who all live in a commune or something, I don't know. I, I can't picture a church <laughs> that has this, but every one of your people are in this fight yeah. because they go to work. Yeah. They, hopefully, yeah, they that's right. probably go to school at some point. They have neighbors. They have friends 
who all are hearing this worldview being pushed on them. And you're, if you're not equipping them to deal with that, to push back against it, what's going to happen is they're going to be influenced by the world around them because you're not equipping them. The world will give them yeah. all the answers they want, which means you're losing your people. And so it's funny, you mentioned that kind of like limp-wristed church. We go out on the streets evangelizing. That I'm not saying this to be like, look at how good we are. And the most common thing I've, I've been hearing for probably the last six months is, oh, I used to go to church. I used to be a Christian and I've, I've left the church and yada, yada. And you ask why. And the underlying reason is that there's no difference between the people who go there and the people who weren't. And that's like, that's massively condemning yeah. in our society that the, we don't have an answer for them for the problems that they're encountering. Right. And like, we think about all the children who apostatize from the church by the like 18, 19, 20 year olds. And why, why is that? Because we, the church doesn't provide them answers for their questions that the world does present to them. You can look at like as simple as dinosaurs, or it could be like, why is there only two genders? Yeah. Whatever the questions, because the culture isn't playing this, like, let's debate the issue game anymore. They're saying this is the way it is and everything else is evil and you need to be, you need to eradicate it. They're not playing nice with us. So why are we playing nice with them? Right. And I think just not that I want to keep harping on this. I don't want to keep coming back to it, but I, I just think that there's something here. And I guess I want to wrap up this episode with, with another call to our brothers, like we want to say brothers, for repentance. So I don't want to keep circling back to COVID, but I, I think here's part of the problem, is that you have a ton of churches who, when the government told them to do something that they knew wasn't right, call me, you know, imputing motive, you know, whatever you want. At the end of the day, I find it very hard to believe that most pastors and most elders didn't know gathering for church on Sunday morning is the right thing to do. Gathering together and practicing the Lord's Supper is the right thing to do. Gathering together and bringing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing together is the right thing to do. Laying hands on one another and praying for the sick, baptizing one, like these are good things. And so the government came along and told you not to do them and you just did them. Whether you say it like this or not, what did you just teach all of your people by example that when it costs you, it's okay to not do the right thing? And so now you're sending all of your people out into a workplace where they have to wear purple on, on Fridays for Pride Day. They have to wear the pride ribbon. They have to call Frank Sally and they use his preferred pronouns. And, and you're sending them out into that world and you've taught them by example. You know what? If it's hard, if somebody tells you to do it, if somebody in authority over you tells you to do it, you don't have to do what King Jesus says. That's fine. It's just a season. It's just right now. You know, this, this whole LGBT thing, this whole pride thing, it'll go away. Like, you don't have to do it right now. It's just temporary. Just put your head down. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you, just make do. Yeah, make, make the best. Exactly. You've inadvertently taught your people that, to count the cost of the cross and to say it's not worth it. That's literally what you've, they've taught their people. So, I feel like I, you always give me the last word. Man, there you go. That's the last word. Right, peace. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. We'll come back next week. Maybe not as fired up. We woke up with Joe's violence today. <laughs>